Welcome to Blockchain Unpacked. Blockchain Unpacked is a video cast and podcast series held in partnership between RegTech Associates and Crystal Blockchain. Join Jason Baud and Marina Kaustova every month and explore the real-world impact of criminal activity beyond the blockchain. During the series, we will introduce you to a range of experts who will help analyze regulatory effectiveness and share the latest news, trends and predictions in a digestible format to keep you in the know. Hi, I'm Jason Baud, the CEO of RegTech Associates, and welcome to Blockchain Unpacked. This show features expert insights from prominent leaders in the blockchain regulatory and technology industries. I'm delighted to be co-hosting this show with Marina Kostova, CEO of Crystal Blockchain. And Marina and I will kick off by covering some developments in the Web3 space that caught our eye. We'll then be joined by this week's special guest, Harm Arts, who's the co-founder and head of product at 21 Analytics. 21 Analytics are a provider of travel rule compliance software. And that's a very topical area at the moment. And we'll get into that later. So as we kick off, without further ado, Marina, good to see you again. How are you and what's been going on in your world since we last caught up? Hi, Jason. Hello. And it's really good to be back to our recordings. So, yeah, this summer, especially for our business, for Crystal Blockchain and in general for blockchain analytics and compliance industry, it really stands in stark contrast to the previous years. So we see quite noticeable rush among many crypto-related companies to actually bolster their compliance teams and to wrap up, you know, associated trainings and before the autumn season actually takes the full swing. And uh, yeah, as uh, as as a month before, I still can sense the underlying optimism on the markets, and it's heartening to see new businesses actually launching around the world. Um, which was uh, something that I couldn't notice, you know, about a half a year ago in the middle of crypto winter. That's also always a very good sign uh, for us, and we welcome to see these businesses. So, yeah, a couple of uh, uh, developments, and particularly on the regulatory side, that caught my attention, which I think are worth, worth discussing and mentioning. So every year, uh, Financial Action Task Force, FATF, releases the updates to their uh, anti-money laundering and counterterrorist financing uh, measures. And uh, they're particularly targeting virtual assets and virtual asset service providers in these documentation. And their goal is very clear, of course, to staunch any potential criminal and terrorist uh, misuse within the sector. Um, but uh, in this document that they have published recently, uh, they are reporting that uh, since the first publication of these requirements, they see a staggering 75% of the assessed jurisdictions they are either non-compliant or partially meeting an FATF stipulated requirements, which is quite a big number, I must say. And of course, they're leaning towards pushing for stronger risk assessments. And they're clearly stating in these documents a very important point that actually banning cryptocurrencies is not an option. Uh, so they're emphasizing that the only way uh, to come to a better market is actually to um, rigorously monitor the virtual service providers and all the associated entities. So it's quite uh, uh, an important uh, uh, pulse, regulatory pulse that is happening every year, and uh, their assessments are quite important for all other jurisdictions. You know, they, uh, everyone looks into them. And I think uh, another critical development that we are expecting to happen, right, especially for those based in UK, is uh, happening on the 1st of September. So the Financial Conduct Authority, FCA, in the UK uh, is mandating the travel rule. 
and it is a direct reaction to the FATF's call for various jurisdictions to swiftly implement the travel rule and uh, actually to uh, bring all the procedures for a better monitoring uh, of the uh, crypto transactions. So yeah, uh, I think those are the most uh, important like things that are happening um, uh, in uh, in the markets this summer from the regulatory standpoint and. Um, in the light of our special guest today, I think it would be very uh, good to discuss exactly what these uh, changes are bringing to us and how we can see the same maybe approach uh, developed in other territories, not only in UK. Yeah, I think that's a great intro to the show, Marina. I think when you look at um, the role of FATF and the role of um, regulators and industry standards bodies. And, you know, later on, we're going to talk about our next guest on our next show. But today, we're you know, I think you, that's a perfect segue. Your perspective is really interesting as well, because, you know, if you're seeing people in regulated institutions really cramming in on training, you know, you're seeing building and I'm seeing building and I'm seeing investment in the, the Web3 and crypto space. And we're seeing this this maturity at the same time of the regulations um as we've discussed in previous shows listen it's the cost of doing business now it's not going away regulation and compliance cost of doing business you know get get certified get the technology in place and off we go and let's let's grow this industry so i'm really i think you are as well i can tell now i know you well enough to interact you you're super optimistic and i am as well so that's a great start yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, thank you, yeah. Uh, well, we are uh, experiencing the same optimism across, you know, our team, uh, gearing up for uh, what autumn brings us. And uh, um, we see the flurry of activity on both layer one and layer two chains, and it's very evident. And uh, we understand that uh, travel rule is, of course, something that a lot of the companies are um, fixing right now, are implementing very swiftly. But uh, uh, there's another challenge, you know, uh, uh, next to that is like how to understand the cross-chain activity, how to assess your um, customer or entity's activity holistically. So, uh, yeah, um, we are a SaaS company, right? We're developing software. So Summer for us was also <clears throat> devoted to building better and improving, you know, the engines uh, that are providing all these capacities and actually following and listening to what market needs. And it's obvious that market right now requires uh, better uh, instruments on the visualization. Uh, so we added eight new blockchains uh, to our visualization engine. And uh, um, uh, this expands quite a lot uh, the monitoring and investigative uh, capacities of for, for compliance teams. So uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's our development for the last month. Uh, again, uh, we're trying to bring as much as possible, uh, empower you know, all these customers who are launching their activities uh, this autumn or uh, preparing you know, for the change in the compliance uh, policies and procedures. Yeah, but what about you, Jason? Uh, what's going on in your world and RegTech Associates? Uh, thanks, Marina. I, I mean, summer's always an incredibly busy period for us. We've got lots of client work going on. Um, we do a lot of work around helping uh, growth companies with sales and marketing. So uh, always a really busy time. We've also um, hired three summer interns, and they've been helping us with our product. Um, so Radar is our product at RegTech Associates. It's a marketplace of insights and um reg tech and risk tech products and also news about the markets. And in the last month, we've been literally scouring the world, uh, 
looking for new products, looking for updates. Uh, we've been updating the financial crime section of our marketplace. Just to give you an order of quantity, we track about 600 financial crime products from around the world. It sometimes blows me away that there could be 600 you know, uh, reg and risk tech products focused on solving financial crimes, but there is. And actually, as, you know, as we go through, we, we, we track and tag different solutions as to the, the problems they're solving. And to give you an example, there's 12 travel rule solutions amongst those 600 financial crime solutions that we're tracking. So, you know, really nice to see new products coming into the market. And uh, obviously, we're going to be talking to one of the founders of one of those software companies very shortly. That calls for a real map of, uh, you know, activities and products. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see that, uh, a lot of development. And, yeah, it was, we are not yet completed with the, uh, within the cycle of the regulatory changes. And uh, that definitely calls for even more products to join this uh, array of solutions. That's yeah, exactly, exactly. And, um, yeah, maybe, maybe we need some of the crystal blockchain magic on how we start <laughs> to visualize some of our data, right? Because we have a tremendous problem we produce these graphical market maps and you know it's quite hard fitting 600 logos on like a equivalent of a piece of digital a4 so uh, we're, we're definitely going to need to get into graph and we actually we're going to we're going to do that with with one of our upcoming maps around ai so yeah look out for that oh yeah uh, congrats on that that's a great great development and uh, i can see that again uh, uh risks associated with digital assets in general they are uh, not only, you know, uh, limited by compliance and regulation, and uh, uh, it's important uh, for, for any company, you know, that steps into this area to understand uh, what capacities do they have, actually. So, yeah, thank you for that. I think the market will appreciate this uh, uh, a lot. Fantastic. A couple of bits of news I came across recently I wanted to touch on. One was uh, I came across something called OSWAR, O-S-W-A-R, and it's a open standards web three attack reference. Um, so built by the community with contribute, contributors from uh, tech companies like Cybers, but also some big uh, companies like Google, Capgemini, uh, Block Apex and many other firms. And it's basically, I think it's really relevant to our last call we had when we were talking about sort of investigations and attacks as well is the Oswa framework is helping firms understanding attack behaviors and techniques and vulnerabilities. And it's a quite big and fast moving initiative. I think it's very bold, but really starts to lay out the language and the taxonomy for uh, cleaning up and understanding typologies of attack, uh, attack vectors. Um, we'll put it in the show notes, but um, well worth taking a look at uh, people, oswar.org. And the second piece of news I wanted to touch on, and I know, uh, Marina, you, you got some thoughts in this area as well, was around um, PayPal. And actually, two bits of news um, came to mind from PayPal over the last month or so. Um, announced last week, in the UK, they're actually stopping UK customers buying cryptocurrencies through and via its platform. And that's partly to do with the fact that the financial uh, promotions regimes coming in in uh, Q4, Q3 and Q4 this year in the UK. So, so PayPal have sort of said, you know what, you know, we're going to be compliant with this regulation and we're going to ensure that our customers are safe. But in the meantime, you can't buy um, any cryptocurrencies. You can hold or you can sell, but you can't buy. And that's the first interesting piece of PayPal related news. 
And the second piece was was about their stable coins. So they're the latest um, company and organization to, to launch their own uh, stable coin. Uh, it's a US dollar stable coin. So pegged one to one as a stable coin would be with the US dollar known as PayPal USD or PYUSD. Uh, it's part of their larger strategy around uh, cryptocurrency that's been evolving for some time. But what was a surprise to me, I thought it was a really interesting move for a large, you know, one of the big payment giants, if you like, in the market to be looking at instant, lower cost global payments and remittances. And I was, you know, curious um, seeing that news at really the size of the stablecoin market. So, you know, people have heard about Tether and USDC, but for curiosity's sakes, I just took a look at the global market cap of um, all the stable coins that are in the market, and it's um, a fairly uh, fairly large number at 124 billion dollars. The market cap of, of stable coins. So, yeah, a couple of bits. I'm not sponsored by PayPal, but quite those uh, those two bits of news were, were really interesting to me. Oh, yeah, and, and it's interesting that you're mentioning this because I was also uh, this week looking at the uh, report uh, published by Bruin Howard Digital Asset um, uh, Company, and they describe uh, stable coins, and they refer to them as a silent monster. And uh, uh, that's that's for the good reason. Uh, so um, basically, stable coins silently and very clearly have become a very big, uh, uh, you know, very important force in the crypto space. So. Uh, the report is uh, uh, it's very comprehensive and really it um, um, the numbers that, that you just mentioned, the overall turnaround and you know the uh, big players you know mentioned there, it's overwhelming to see this. Uh, two primary takeaways uh, from the report are that uh, the global popularity of stablecoins is much bigger than we expect. And uh, second important point is that uh, there is a shift uh, uh, happening in their utilization uh, patterns. So uh, basically users are leveraging these uh, the stablecoins, crypto, right? Uh, but not for uh, speculative purposes. So uh, it's quite an important uh, change. And uh, of course, uh, yeah, well, uh, uh, happy to see that. And for PayPal, uh, particularly this move, uh, it's a very interesting move from a business, uh, um, from a high-level perspective, because uh, previously, of course, uh, they have been operating as a closed payment network, right? You could interact uh, with other PayPal users, uh, but um, largely that was it. But by launching their own stablecoin, uh, the uh, PYUSD, uh, they're basically pivoting from this model. Now, you know, any user, regardless of whether they use PayPal or not, uh, they just need to have a wallet that supports CRC20 standard and they can receive and interact on this uh, stablecoin. So they're basically expanding from a closed ecosystem to an open one. And uh, uh, of course, uh, yeah, it broadens the addressable market immensely. And uh, yeah, you can now cater to much larger audience on the Ethereum network, which I think is an important and huge move. So yeah, uh, I'm happy to see that PayPal becomes a big you know, player in these uh, Web3 ecosystems, so yeah. And it'd be really interesting to see, you know, what's what's coming down the line, right? You know, the payment giants, which ones are going to follow suit, you know, if they're not already. I'm not, I must admit by my own admission, I'm not a massive watcher in of payments and payment rails. But, you know, I think, like you say, this is an interesting strategic move by PayPal. And I'm sure they won't be the last to join this space. But, yeah, interesting news. 
So, listen, I think now's the perfect time to bring in, in this week's guest. Uh, Harm has more than 15 years' experience as a software engineer and has founded several startups. His latest venture is 21 Analytics, where he focuses on travel rule compliance for virtual assets. He bought Bitcoin when it was three cents. I, I want to talk to him about that. And his master's in AI and subsequent pre-masters in economics further underlines his keen interest in this sector. Harm, please come on. Uh, please come on to stage. It's great to have you with us. Hi, guys. So first and foremost, yeah, welcome to the show. How are you doing and what's been going on in your world? And what do you think about our chat so far? Any, any, uh, anything you'd like to throw into the mix? Yeah, the, uh, uh, I, I also was a very keen following PayPal there, issuing their own stablecoin. Um, uh, I talk to a lot of people. Uh, oftentimes, uh, stablecoins are overlooked. But the um, uh, the revenue model for a, for a pay uh, for a stablecoin is so uh, so enticing, right? So uh, you issue a coin, and the the holder of that uh, that coin gets gets a dollar back when it, when it redeems it. But in the meanwhile, you actually have a dollar, so you can turn around and put it in some T bills, for example, or some uh, some other assets like uh, like that or is uh, is keen to do, uh, and that will just generate uh, generate a return. Uh, I believe it was uh, was uh, Thatter uh, who posted an earnings uh, earnings of uh, of uh, I think just shy of a uh, hundred million a month of only doing this. So I I get it that that PayPal is wanting in on this uh, on this uh, on this bit. Uh, and the other payment providers like Visa and Mastercard, I doubt they're very far behind, especially Mastercard. Um, they've been buying up uh, CypherTrace, for example. Yeah. yeah, that's. It seems like they at least have a very keen interest of uh, of doing this, and it. And then they move into that. Uh, they seems like an acqui hire in a sense. Like they want to learn, and this is how they learn. Yeah. Um, but also Visa has, has not been entirely quiet on this uh, on this front. So we we'll definitely see more of this. Uh, yeah, I think I think you're you're right, Harm. I think there's going to be more and more of those payments uh, companies, um, you know, in this space, and we'll keep a keen eye out for news and feature that in in uh, future shows. So, listen, before we get into the travel rule, I thought it would be really useful to give some background context. So, actually, I didn't know this. So, hands up, uh, one of our research analysts, Nathan, told me this, and I was like, Are "You sure?" We checked, I checked it out. You guys probably both knew this, but the travel rule was first introduced by FinCEN in the US Bank uh, Secrecy Act, the BSA. It came into effect in May, uh, May 1996, and the FinCEN travel rule requires financial institutions, obviously TradFi institutions, to pass on certain information to the next fin financial institution during the transmittal of funds. And that obviously often refers to wire transfers and in 2012 the FATF updated their recommendations uh, to include similar travel rule guidance for wire transfers uh, as part of their recommendation 16 and then FATF adopted some changes in 2018 to expressly clarify that their recommendations also apply to financial activities involving virtual assets. And uh, I think that's probably the starting point for our conversations, right? This isn't new, yeah. uh, but also, you know, they've been pushing for 
what now five years at least into the virtual asset space. So, uh, Marina, over to you. Yeah, well, travel rule definitely has been a known measure in the conventional financial sector for nearly a quarter century. So now it's significant becoming significance becoming prominent in Web3 domain. So, or maybe you can describe how and why you know it has been become pivoting and combating financial market uh, malpractices and market violations in the crypto space. And additionally, maybe you can cover on you know what might be the reasons for the regulators taking this long to actually you know champion this uh, yeah. application. Yeah. Well, first off, Jason, you're in good company not knowing this because I speak to a lot of people and nobody really knows about this. And it was in 2018 where I, when I was reading this, I think it was somewhere on Twitter that that was the same thing like this. Um, the reason why it, why it uh, took so long in a sense, right? It, it's been now five years in the making. Uh, I think that has several reasons. First off, um, the travel rule uh, for fiat is relatively simple that message which you need to collect, the data you need to collect and send over, you can you compare that with your fiat transfer to begin with. It's just a message field and you chuck it in there and be, be done with it. Bitcoin or uh, other cryptocurrencies are of course totally different. So there is a technological gap there. So it's easy via the shift via, via the uh, SWIFT network and it's pretty hard to do over Bitcoin. In fact, you can't do it really. Uh, and even if you could do it, there is a lot of pushback uh, for it uh, for it to do so. So you need to invent new systems. You need to invent other uh, other ways of doing that. And you see that the FATF um, uh, requirement explicitly states you need to do this simultaneously. You send the coins, you send the message. Uh, but that that of course now you have two two channels to do this in, and that is tricky. So that took, took some time to, for the market to actually figure this out because there was no guidance from the FATF to do this. And then uh, I think you mentioned in the, in the beginning of the, of the call, there are 12 uh, travel rule solution providers. And I think there are like roughly eight different ways of actually transferring this, uh, this data, not even counting uh, email uh, carrier pigeons and smoke signals. Um, it's just hard for uh, uh, for technology companies to do so that's hard but also for the regulator they what is this crypto anyway this is this is this this niche product as you mentioned in the intro i bought bitcoin at three cents i sold them at 30 cents i was very very happy about that i made 10x um but for these regulators this is this is a, this is a new kit on the block there's a new 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 risks marina can attest to that no doubt there's new risk, there are new uh, avenues, and we at 21 Analytics, we oftentimes talk about this, just explain what this thing is doing. Why is it impossible to not have this message there? There is this, in the fiat world, there is Swift, full stop. Well, well now Russia is doing their own thing, and I think China, but in by and large, is one thing. And um, in one particular protocol with we, uh, on which we contribute, we recently uh, integrated a list of uh, assets, and I think it was 1,600 different assets. Yeah, you tell me. Um, it's just a totally different scope, totally different thing, and I think that's the reason why it takes so long uh, to get uh, to get going to be applied. That's really interesting, Harlem. I mean, so so clearly there's been an educational cycle going on in the Absolutely. market, right? It sounds like you spend a lot of time educating the market. And um, 
it sounds like obviously the regulators are, are going to be part of that educating cycle. Is, you think that's the, you think education um, has been one of the main reasons it's taken regulators some time to get behind the implementation? I guess just to frame that question, the FATF uh, assessment they did back in June of this year, I think yeah. it was a survey of 151 countries, was pretty damning, right? Yeah, it wasn't good. Options. So, you no, know, is, that, is, it, is it just lack of understanding or is there more to it than that? What do you think? I think there are two reasons. There is a lack of understanding. Um, we as uh, 21, we oftentimes go to, uh, uh, for example, the VCG meeting. That's a, that's a meeting with a lot of regulators. And then we all, always talk about what the difficulties are. Forget our product. Um, our, our team is first and foremost a bunch of engineers. We know the ins and outs. Um, so then we talk to regulators and they they, they listen carefully. Um, for example, they always talk about interoperability between protocols. I think that's a red herring. I think that's never going to work. Uh, on the other hand, the sometimes it feels that that travel rule regulation is co-opted for other means as well. And this might be a little bit controversial, but um, the FATF is very clear on what you need to exchange when you need to exchange it. Um, and you see all the, but it is a recommendation, but you see all the implementations uh, of the travel rule are slightly different. So for example, in the, uh, in the, in the uh, uh, TFR recommendation, there is a threshold of zero euros. So you always need to transfer this stuff. Well, the FATF uh, has a threshold of a thousand. Uh, the FATF mentions that you need to send along the originator name. Well, in TFR, you also need to send along the address and barring that, the personal identification number. And you see all these little differences. Singapore is, is also quite strict on that. Um, you have all these, they are, why? Why would, a, why would an implementation be stricter than, than the recommendation? It makes it much harder, of course, right? Because now I'm sending, uh, for example, Canada has a, has, a, has a weird field in there, which you need to, so now as a VASP, as, a, as an exchange, I need to figure out, oh, this is a Canadian VASP. They need other stuff. So you need to send that over. This wrangling, this, this implementation of the recommendation, um, yeah, it's just it's just not the implement the recommendation. It's just their flavor thereof, and that makes it hugely complicated for VAS to comply. Yeah, I mean, you you touched on um, you touched on I think probably one of my primary questions I had for you, right? In you know, I guess your day to day, you're talking to a lot of VAS, you're talking to regulators, you're in this market, and um, is that the main? Is that complexity, the you know, and the lack of education, the two main reasons why? The VASPs and you know around the world are are slow in moving, and I guess the regulators around the world are, are slow in moving. Is that the main challenge? Um, that is a big challenge. I think that is the biggest challenge, but that is not the challenge why uh, why VASPs are slow to uh, slow to implement. VASPs are slow to implement because of the fact that you mentioned in the intro there are twelve different products out there. They are waiting. Um, it is also implementing uh, implementing compliance to the travel rule is complicated. You need to ask your user, your retail investor, different information. Then you have this information. Now you need to know what you want to do with that information. How are you going to store it? How are you going to send it? To whom are you going to send it? How are you going to receive all this information? 
so if you look, for example, at, um, uh, well, Crystal, I think, is, a, is an excellent example. That is, um, you just have an on-chain uh, on transfer, you have a, an address, and you run it through Crystal C, and then you get a risk rating. Done. But with Travel Rule, it touches everything. It touches everything from uh, your user interface to your compliance department to, um, uh, to your counterparties, your inbound requests. It is vast, massively underestimate how hard this is. And so oftentimes the calls I have, um, they don't, they never really talk about, we never really talk about our product and to begin with. We, I first want to impress upon them the fact that they have a problem. They know this driver, oh yeah, this is coming somewhere, somewhere. But they need to get going. It's very simple to get going. I always have two tips to get them started and then they are ahead of the curve already. But with the, uh, with the FCA enforcing the 1st of uh, September, I think a lot of us are going to be in for an unpleasant surprise. Quite a lot of challenges, and I assume you know. Also, if the customer is growing and scaling up, uh, there are many more questions you know associated with that, and how you store these data, on like how you uh, how you set up different flows again for various jurisdictions and so on. And I assume that technology is exactly you know what should solve this, along with of course trained people and so on. But uh, speaking about the technology, how you see developing uh, and helping uh, to comply with these rules as they are changing? Uh, because of course we are expecting um, more countries, you know, to follow the path of UK or maybe you know devising a slightly different route. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, how how the technology makes it easier for the companies uh, who want to embark on this journey? Yeah, so the technology. So you, you can have you have a choice. Either you hire lots and lots of compliance people or you go for a technology stack. Um, hiring lots of compliance people, uh, well, I'm in this business, it's getting harder and harder to do so, but um, you would be compliant, for example, I, uh, I flippantly mentioned uh, smoke signals in the beginning. You could hire a compliance person who'd look at the sky and see the smoke signals and then type it in some Excel sheet. The actual thing is, for example, sending email. FATF mentions that you need to send this instantly. Email is instant. Um, but then you have all these emails and stuff, and you have a huge burden. If you do, if you do what uh, a reasonable amount of transactions a day, that's a lot of email you need to process. And the end goal of the uh, of the FATF travel rule is, of course, that your uh, it's not that that you need to gather this data. It's for the uh, FIUs. They need to follow this breadcrumb. They go to one exchange, request that data, and then move on to the next exchange, and then follow the follow this trail. Imagine that an FAU comes knocking at your door, and you have 15 million emails to go through. It's possible. It's going to take you a long time. If you look at the technology side, there are there are solutions out there, as Jason mentioned, um, which makes it much easier. So. Uh, my personal favorite is TRP. That's a protocol, pure protocol. Everybody can implement it. In fact, we're giving workshops doing that. It's also on the technology side. Um, you do these, uh, you, if your counterparty also has TRP, it is very instant. It's immediately, uh, it's a, you can immediately run it through Crystal, for example, um, and, then, uh, and then get going there. Um, 
yeah, so technology is a great enabler. If you have this stack in order, then you don't have the cost on the other side. Oftentimes people complain about our pricing, of course, but hire, hire 20 compliance people. Mm -hmm. it's, it, is, it is such a no-brainer, but you need to get going now. Mm -hmm. So technology is a, is a, I think it was Marina who mentioned the cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. um, that, is, that is just what it is. And the cost needn't be so high. You just need to be aware of this and get going. I think it's really interesting as well to hearing you talk, Harm, because, you know, my my vision of, you know, the people that run a VASP is, you know, highly technical, you know, understand, understand the protocols, understand the, understand the, the underlying currencies and the instruments they trade. And on the past couple of shows, we've had sort of compliance people on talking about, you know, they're having to bring some of these people into the understanding of what compliance and risk management means, you know, and I guess that's um, that's just like selling into this market it must be pretty tough, right? Because you've got to educate the, the compliance people on technology and the technology people on compliance. Yeah, so. and, actually, and actually most of the most of the technologists running these VASPs, they are somewhat adverse to, uh, to compliance. I mean... Uh, I speak to a lot of idealists. They're doing this because they believe in Bitcoin. They believe in decentralized money. And now we're here. You need to comply. There is there is really no no way out. And they just don't want to hear it. Yeah, and the travel space itself developed so much. Uh, and you, you, I've first we start, like our space are started speaking about travel about five years ago mm. and i remember in the early days it was very highly compartmentalized in terms of the uh, these associations that grew around certain territories and i think we are uh, of course like five years later we're a completely different state can you speak a little bit about that yeah. how it becomes more evenly spread and you know more uh, evenly distributed across territories um when we started uh, i think four years ago um there was uh there were there were there were intentions mm -hmm. intentions of we're going to do it this or that way us being a bunch of engineers we got involved with as many protocols as possible uh, because what we saw the intentions weren't particularly great so we got involved and we still are involved in uh, in as much and as many protocols as we possibly can um what we see now in the market uh, i think we're seeing a, some sort of consolidation so when we started out four years ago there was a, a cambrian explosion of of protocols solutions and, and whatnot and we see that die down a little bit now so um, where there used to be nine different uh, different uh, uh, protocols slash products, and nowadays that's that's down to three, maybe four. And I'm I'm specifically mentioning protocols. So how you talk to each other, uh, you can build products on top of these protocols. That's actually what we do as Twenty One Analytics. We have a product and we speak a bunch of protocols. Um, and we see the consolidation happen around uh, geographical areas. So we see uh, Southeast Asia, we see Europe, we see uh, America. Um, and it's actually funny that that's all these uh, all these um, uh, these consolidations 
they ingrain more or less the 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 values of the of the uh, of the uh, jurisdiction or on the uh, geographical plane there. So in Southeast Asia, privacy is not not such a big deal. Uh, in Europe, that's very much a big deal, and in America, it's somewhere in between. As long America's, um, they 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 like to make big statements, and they're doing so. Um, but I think we're more or less seeing uh, seeing that happening uh, happening now, and that's that makes it better for VASPs. Um, like uh, like if you're a South uh, a Korean VASP and you're not doing business with uh, with any VASP in Europe, that makes it easier for you, and so forth. So I think we're moving in the right direction in 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 a certain sense. Yeah, the maturity of the market clearly. Uh, that's that's good to see that. Yeah, yeah. Some of the protocols we work on, for example, they they just got small version bumps. In the in mm-hmm. the beginning, you saw like huge uh, huge changes, and now now it's just uh, just a touch up left and right. It is it is to a high degree uh, on all sides more or less stabilized the protocols. But now it's the now people start to use it. Well, the rubber hits the road. So now I imagine that's uh, that's going to be interesting. And Han, what what do you think about the uh, incentives for, um, biz, you know, I guess VASPs to implement travel? Okay, they have to from a regulatory perspective, and that's an ongoing. You know, there's lots of things regulatory firms need to do. They don't necessarily all do them in the same way or at the same time. So that's going to be a evolving picture. But you know, what are the what are the positive? Are they positive? Do you see like the VASPs yeah. going? Right, we're going to fully embrace this travel rule, and we're sending data across these jurisdictions to counterparties, and you know that's a business advantage for them. Is that too is that too much of a stretch? Yeah, I think I think for businesses, this is um, there. I think there are three distinct advantages of doing this. All of them are long term. So first off, you're building a moat. Not everybody has their process in order. The regulator will enforce at some point, and then uh, and then you're good to go. Second, with travel rule, you are um, you are required to at least ask the name of the beneficiary uh, from your user, uh, and that's actually in, uh, incredibly reminiscent uh, if you do a. Uh, a bank payment. You know, I also, uh, Jason, if I send you money, I sell, I type in your name and your account number. So that brings a little bit closer together, and that, that makes the culture shock maybe a little little less a uh, little less less hard. And third, um, and this is basically the reason why we got involved in Travel Rule to to begin with. Um, you do not with implementing this, we're not alienating the regulator because this is. A scary thing, um, or potentially a scary thing, and the regulator uh, needs to understand this, needs to feel that they have a grasp on this in order to allow it. I was Marina. I was very happy to uh, to see that that banning stablecoins is not a, not an issue, and I think banning crypto at this point is going to be incredibly hard. But it would it would be for the adoption of cryptocurrencies, it would be at least a significant road bump if jurisdictions would uh, would ban it um, so it is an investment in the long term great and you mentioned that uh, there are different rule sets currently presented for different jurisdictions but how different could they be 
Uh, we see that, for example, uh, in Crystal, that uh, sometimes different jurisdictions have completely polar opinion about certain activities, uh, right? Namely, um, uh, gambling, for example, right? Um, right. And uh, uh, like, how do you see that? Uh, and also, in the light of recent announcements from Jersey, particularly, um, how do you cope with that uh, from the technological standpoint? I'll be very frank with you, uh, Marina. I don't think VASPs are going to cope with this in the short term. Uh, I think they're going to collect the beneficiary name and send that over and call it a day. Um, and I think that's okay. That is what the FATF mandated. Um, that might not be the letter of the law, um, but I think the regulator is going to catch up on this. They're going to uh, they're going to cast their their gaze outwards, and I think the the, the regulators I sp speak to are very reasonable people. Um, they have ultimately, I hope they have ultimately the goal to um, uh, to make this thing work. And in order to have this thing work, it is much easier if you just just take the beneficiary name. Um, and all the rest is, yeah, it's it's not great uh, if you don't do it, but I think I think it's okay. And I think if we do this globally, I think it's so much easier for uh, for your tech team to uh, to determine uh, to how to send all this stuff. Otherwise, imagine um, you're uh, I'm at uh, at my uh, Kraken uh, Kraken accounts, and I'm going to send uh, uh, Marina some uh, some some crypto and all of a sudden i need your i need your your where you live but if i send it to jason he lives in another jurisdiction i need to send something else so that form needs to change obviously everything is possible in in, in technology i'm an engineer myself i get lots of i had lots of weird, weird requests from uh, from employers but do you really want this does this really serve the goal and I think, and that's also why we you know, go to these uh, these uh, talk to these regulators. We they always come back with this on interoperability I mentioned, and this is always my rebuttal. Please make sure that you align these things. It makes it so much easier. The FCA, uh, to a degree, annoyed me a little bit. They have now crypto businesses. CB, it's just a it's just a VASP, but your the the TFR calls it a CASP. The French call it a, a BASP, I think. Just just align that already. That would be yeah, so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting as well because, I mean, if you look back at regulations, you know, almost pre-digital money, you know, in this space, you've always had regulatory differentiation around the world, right? You've always had what's known as regulatory arbitrage. Yeah. Go and set up in one jurisdiction because the regulation favoured them. That's always existed, right? But I guess in many cases, it's it's that's been okay because perhaps you're dealing with a financial product or a payments network that's more regional, right? Here, you've got a truly global yep. uh, uh, network of sending and receiving money, and on top of that, you're trying to deal with the complexities of all this uh, arbitrage. So actually. What you outline on makes complete sense. You know, I hate the analogy, but let's get to first base, send a beneficiary name, you know, and then because otherwise, that's you know, users are going to get really confused if you're, you know, you have to know who that, you know, where that person's based and where that exchange is and where they're dom dom domiciled. 
to know yeah. what information to send. That that would be crazy, right? A VOSP still needs to know that, but regulatory arbitrage with travel rule is a thing of the past. I always uh, travel rule is contagious. So even yeah. if you're on the on the Seychelles or uh, the Bahamas or Southern Sudan, if you want to send coins to a European VOSP, done. You need to do it. So you can't put yourself in a jurisdiction which doesn't enforce it. Um, you still need to do it. And Marina, uh, you mentioned that uh, that a lot of uh, jurisdictions are not compliant yet. Uh, that is a high number. Uh, I am surprised it's still that high, but it's also irrelevant for a lot of VASPs because um, they need to look at the list of transactions they're doing. Where is this stuff going? That's uh, that's actually also uh, always where I recommend uh, looking in the uh, uh, looking at an on-chain analytics firm, you need to know this stuff. It's a heuristic, you, it's not for sure, but um, then at least you can get going. You need to know your business to a higher degree than you used to do. And I think that's ultimately also what the, what the goal is of the regulator. You need to know your customer. You need to know where this money is going to. And beyond the further expansion and further adoptions, uh, due to the contagious nature uh, of 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 of, the, of, the, of this uh, uh, procedure and this policy, what's next for the travel rule? What do you see? Where do you see this evolving? And yeah, uh, um, yeah uh, there are you know there are trusted networks. Uh, there are of course protocols, and uh, uh, there is a growing need for the companies to stay operating globally and be able to do that. So where it all leads us? Yeah, this is a very good question. Um... Um, I think the industry is going to need to make a choice. Are we going to keep, are we, uh, are we going to uh, be decentralized or are we going to centralize? And then you centralize around an equivalent of Swift, for example. Um, Trust, for example, is, a, uh, is an example of that. Um, there is a centralized component, the PII data you uh, you exchange peer-to-peer, uh, uh, -peer, but there is always a centralized server uh, in between. Um, you can't take that out. That raises questions. Do we want that? Or do you, do you uh, want to put your business, because that's what it is, do you want to put your trust in, in an organization like that? I think I'm not against it it has certain advantages um but it's not necessary to do it like like so trp for example uh, and again a uh, caveat uh, this is my personal favorite um that is purely peer-to-peer -peer. you do not need to pay anybody it is an open source protocol you can implement it um well next week we have a uh, i already mentioned this workshop next week we have a workshop it's free uh, you implement a client for TRP in two hours. It is simple. But what you see is that oftentimes you need you now need to know where you send the coins to, right? So what, uh, what Trust is offering, Trust is saying, hey, we have a directory and everybody part of this directory, we can tell you, give us an address and we'll tell you where to send the, the stuff to. Um, I think as Crystal, that, that must be brilliant. Um, but that's not something, uh, especially European fast what like to relinquish your, your, your leaking uh, company sensitive information there, not only to 
all of your competitors, but also to the, to the guys running this thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I very much hope that TRP would, would be it, but and TRP solves this, uh, this in a slightly different way. TRP implements something uh, called a travel address and think of it as an IBAN as you have in Europe. In an IBAN, you in the in the account number, you immediately see which bank it is. That's basically what Travel Address does. So there's no need for a uh, for a centralized entity there. And that's the that's the choice we're going to need to make uh, uh, with everybody. Are we going to centralize or are we going to stay centralized? And another thing is DeFi. Uh, this always comes up, so I'm addressing it here. Um, in this case, I think the regulator is quick to wisen up. Um, uh, I even re recently heard this, uh, this, uh, this acronym, DINO, uh, decentralized and name only, which I think is perfectly apt. I mean, there are many DeFi's, but they still have, uh, have this, uh, this company pushing that or, or, uh, or an association or something. Like that. I think there are actual DeFi products and this is going to be hard. But let's not forget that the FIUs are, uh, they're not idiots. I mean, you have just detectives there. Um, they, go to, uh, they go to Marina and say, help us out here. This is just, um, travel rule is not a holy grail, it's a tool. And you can still fight uh, financial crime with the other tools you have. So I don't think it's such a big deal that, uh, that uh, DeFi is, uh, is, um, is uh, uh, not only the travel rule. It's also, I, I, frankly, I don't really see how you would do this. How do you? How are you going to force these things to do that? This, this particular smart contract does it, and nobody's using it. How, how, are you, how on earth are you going to do this? But I don't know. Um, there is still a lot of talk about that, but it's all talk. Currently, no, uh, no solution in sight. And there are DeFi protocols which are willing to do go the extra mile. It's also, again, I, as I mentioned, these three, these, these three advantages. These are DeFi protocols who who subscribe to these advantages. They don't want to alienate uh, their their regulator. They don't want to alienate uh, their users. They want to give, uh, or, or in institutionals, for example, we see a lot of institutionals coming on board now. They don't. They don't have any interest in 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 going with some weird DeFi thing which doesn't comply with the rules. So I think you'll see a nice split there. So DeFi, I'm not worried. I'm really interested to see how the whole uh, trusted network versus open protocol, uh, you know, me too, ends right because I think actually you look at it if you look at it through different perspectives, you probably come to a different answer, right? So. Bear with me a sec. So you look at it through the technology perspective. I'm a technologist, so why wouldn't you have an open protocol, right? That's, that's my vote, right? You look at it commercially, yeah, maybe there's a slightly different answer, right? Maybe the 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 what happens often in regulated networks is you're with the crowd, right? If the big VASPs are in the crowd over there, I'm probably going to go over there as well. Yeah, so. and it's, a matter, it's also a matter of money, and we all already touched on the, the education bit. Um, so an open source protocol has no way of making money. That means that has no way of marketing themselves, exactly. has no way of educating a regulator, has no way, it makes it's, I really wish. And that's and that, my, third, my third criteria. I'm not even going to, I'm just going to mention the word and not say anything else, but politics. But, so, you know, three ways of, three ways I'm thinking about how I might look at this debate moving forward. But yeah, really super interesting. 
Yeah, yeah. The politics thing. Uh, obviously, we're we're selling a product. We lose prospects, and how oftentimes it it comes down to politics. It's it's um, disheartening at sometimes. Like this is they know it's the wrong choice. Still go go with it. Uh, I get I get it. It's it's part of life. So I think we're closing near the end of the show. Marina, any final wrap up thoughts or comments uh, from you? Well, uh, yeah, um, I'm thinking that, uh, again, compared to what we have seen like two or three years ago, there is clearly a must have array of solutions that any virtual asset service provider has to use at this moment. And the role of the compliance officer is also evolving and changing. You need to keep up with all these streams and understand how to combine them into the you know holistic strategy for the company that you are observing. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm I understand that needs uh, requires a lot of educational efforts, uh, and uh, I'm particularly just wanted to highlight that uh, uh, your efforts, the efforts of Twenty One Analytics, on like educating both regulators and also participating in these initiatives, you know, running workshops for uh, uh, the compliance teams, it's uh, incredibly needed at this moment, I think, uh, because sometimes people under overestimate, you know, how complicated that would be the deployment, but also they underestimate, you know, the uh, array of things that they need to pay attention exactly to. Exactly right. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, uh, it's important that everyone who brings the technology also brings uh, a body of knowledge and wisdom, you know, on how to do and how to implement it and how to make better decisions for the business. Yeah. So thank you for that. Happy to be here. And Harm, any any closing thoughts from you? Um, yeah, I mentioned these these two tips in the in the beginning, and I, I'd like to come back to that because um, getting started with the, the travel, especially if you heard me rant for the last thirty minutes, um, it seems daunting, but it is very easy to get going. Two tips: um, get your uh, get your crystal tool out there, run everything you have through that and figure out who your counterparty is. Then you at least have an inkling where you're going, where your focus should lie. Must it be North America? Are you doing everything with Kraken? That makes your decision process much easier. Also, get an email address which reads travelrule at yourvast.com. It is inevitable that uh, you're going to receive um, travel information from uh, counterparties who do not have a technical solution in place. Maybe even you have, don't have a technical solution in place. But if you have this address, you at least comply with the, uh, with the uh, and it's very simple. Just write an email to your, to your tech department, travel address at yourvast.com. That's a very simple first step. It's going to pay so many dividends. If only that you can talk to your regulator and say, hey, look at us, we are receiving travel rule and data here and we are sending it to others as well. Top recommendations. Thank you, Harm. A, a huge thanks to you as our special guest on this month's show. And we hope that everyone enjoyed the show and tune in uh, next month for episode six. 